Hello, and welcome to Pax Americana, a new podcast from Massachusetts Peace Action. I'm your host, Brian Garvey. This program will feature discussion by and for peace activists, as well as guest appearances from authors, journalists, and artists. We'll examine history, politics, and current events as we build a movement towards a more peaceful world. Our first episode is part one of a conversation with award-winning author and foreign correspondent Stephen Kinzer. He joined us in front of a live audience on Human Rights Day at Boston University's College of Communication for a discussion entitled Questioning the U.S.-Saudi Alliance, Yemen and the Politics of Famine. I myself sat on the panel along with fellow activists Ryan Costello and our moderator, Anna Melosavievich. Thank you for downloading and enjoy the show. Welcome, everyone, and thank you so much for coming out and um, celebrating Human Rights Day with us uh, and our guest, Stephen Kinzer. Uh, as you all know, we're here to discuss U.S.-Saudi relations and the genocide going on in Yemen. But without further ado, I'm going to introduce our main guest, Stephen Kinzer. Uh, Stephen Kinzer is an award-winning foreign correspondent who's covered more than 50 countries on five continents, uh, working for more than 20 years at the New York Times. Following that, Kinzer taught journalism, political science, and international relations at Northwestern University and also here at Boston University. Uh, he's currently a senior fellow at the Watson Institute for International and Public Affairs at Brown University and writes a world affairs columns, column for the Boston Globe. So please welcome Stephen Kinzer. Thanks for that. It's uh, wonderful to be here uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, main reason, of course, is that uh, it's great to see citizen engagement. Uh, it's, you know, it's awfully lonely out in the world of trying to protest against the foreign policy of the United States. Uh, when you look at the uh, op-ed pages of the New York Times, Washington Post, uh, Los Angeles Times, Wall Street Journal, it's all monochromatic. It, it, uh, it, it ranges all the way from the uh, liberal interventionism of the uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, Susan Rice uh, style over to the John McCain, uh, Lindsey Graham, neocon. That, that's it. So it, it, it runs the gamut from A to B. Uh, so uh, it's wonderful to see people out here that are, are resisting that. It's not just the press. I, I always uh, focus on the press because I'm most ashamed of the press, having being myself a recovering journalist. Uh, but of course, it's essentially, with some exceptions, the entire Republican Party and the entire Democratic Party and uh, all of the think tanks in Washington. So uh, it's wonderful to know that uh, although if you read the press and talk to the people that are supposed to be our foreign affairs experts, everybody agrees, it's nice to know that there's actually human beings out there that don't. So it's wonderful to be here and see that uh, there's great concern about what we're doing in the world and it's not just limited to one or two of us. I think a lot of us are frustrated sometimes so many years we've watched the United States make the same mistakes over and over again. Uh, 
our view that we know what's good for the world better than the world itself knows runs through all of our foreign policy. Uh, we have this view that where we do not place our flag in the ground, there's chaos and misery and suffering. And everywhere that we show up, everything is beautiful and gardens bloom and people are peaceful. So much evidence contradicts this, but it still remains a, a, a meme in our own uh, collective mind. So uh, it's great to see that uh, there's some sense that something's gone very wrong uh, with who we are as a nation and, and what we do in the world. Uh, another reason I love being here is that, of course, I'm, as you just heard, a former Boston University professor. I, I used to teach, actually, in this building. And I've, it occurred to me as I was walking over here, I still have a memory in my mind. I, I'm a BU graduate, uh, like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, one of our new heroes. Um, and I can still remember something that's probably very important for any college student. The moment that I finished, the last exam in the last course in the last semester of my college career, it was actually in this building. And the door at the bottom, on the first floor at the end, was the door that I walked out of. And I remember walking out of that door, having taken my final exam in a course on European economic history, and thinking to myself, this is it. I'm free. I'm, I'm out of here. I have a college degree now. That happened in this building. So I have some connections here. Um, in a way, it's, it's kind of a homecoming. Uh, now, while I was here, uh, I developed a course that I still teach at Brown, where I now teach, um, called the History of American Intervention. We go all the way back to the Hawaii, Cuba, Puerto Rico episodes, and then work our way through uh, the 19th century, uh, the 20th century early Sandino uh, interventions in uh, Latin America, then uh, after the Second World War, of course, uh, Iran, Guatemala, uh, Cuba, the Congo. I couldn't, we don't have enough time for me to list them all here. But uh, the history of American intervention in the world traces both the history of the American political consciousness and the history of the world. You know, other countries uh, also have pursued mistaken and unwise foreign policies, but they don't affect the world as, as much as ours do. Uh, it's often said that Americans are ignorant about the world, and this is true. But people in many other countries are also ignorant about the world. Our ignorance, however, is more dangerous. Our ignorance is worse because we act on our ignorance. If people in Bolivia don't know anything about the Middle East, that's too bad. It's a shame. But it doesn't really kill anybody. Our ignorance kills people. And that's why our ignorance is worse than the ignorance of people in other countries. And it's so wonderful to see that uh, there are so many people out there that want to try to break out of that prison. The current disaster that we are witnessing and participating in, uh, in the Persian Gulf, particularly in Yemen, is just the latest example in a long continuum. 
years ago, I wrote a book called Bitter Fruit about how the United States overthrew the government of Guatemala in 1954. Later on, I wrote a book about how the United States overthrew the government of Iran. That came just before, in 1953. Uh, and when I wrote those books, I really thought that I had done something uh, new and, and wonderful. I had ripped away the veil of lies, and I told the story of what really happened. But later on, I came to realize that, in one sense, I actually missed the story. And, and what, because I was covering those events as isolated episodes. That's not what they were. They're actually part of this long continuum of American intervention around the world. And that led me to write another book called Overthrow, in which I try to trace all the times that the United States overthrew foreign governments. And I think we have to see our involvement in Yemen uh, in that context. This is not an isolated episode. This is just the latest reflection of America's view that we know what's good for everybody else, and we, particularly in the Middle East, our 5,000-mile-long screwdriver is the ideal tool to fix what's wrong in the Middle East. Uh, the Yemen situation has brought something to the fore that's really remarkable. It's made people in Washington and beyond Washington focus on the effects of American intervention in ways that we almost never do. Uh, this catastrophe that is afflicting the Yemeni people uh, is, if it has a positive side, opening up the eyes of some people in the United States to how we behave in the world and what our role really is. We all like to think of ourselves as, as good, as nations and as individuals. Uh, I'm an example of this myself, so many of you don't know me, but I can guarantee you I'm a, a super nice guy. So if you don't like me, there can only be two reasons. Number one is you don't know me. You don't know what a great guy I am. The other reason is you're a jerk yourself, so naturally you wouldn't like a good person like me. The possibility that you know exactly who I am, you know just what I do, and you don't like me is not possible. This is the way Americans think about our country. We can't believe that there's anybody in the world who is a real patriot, loves his own country, and doesn't like the United States. This shows you how fully we lack self-awareness. Because there are many patriots around the world who love their own country and wish the United States would go away and leave them alone. When the United States shows up in your country, you're in trouble. And this is not what the United States was supposed to be. We were supposed to be the country that people would welcome that was only going to be good, that was going to be beneficent. And there was a time when we were like that, uh, at least for countries in the rest of the world, not for the nations inside North America. Um, but we now have a moment in which the nature of American foreign policy is being crystallized by this one situation in Yemen. It's a question of foreign policy. It's also a question of our democracy in our Constitution. 
It's about the rule of law in the United States in the face of an unconstitutional war. We are facing the slaughter of civilians on an appalling scale, and the United States is deeply involved in this continuing crime. Now, this intervention in Yemen by the United States has not only been a catastrophe for the Yemeni people who are facing, as many of you have heard, what the United Nations calls the world's greatest humanitarian catastrophe. It's also a disaster for American security interests. And I would even argue it's a disaster for Saudi Arabian interests. Uh, our support for civil war in Yemen does not in any way enhance our own national security. And that support was never authorized by the body that is designated by our Constitution as the authorizing body, the US Congress. The Congress has repeatedly refused to accept the responsibility that Congress has under the Constitution. Finally, we're seeing some stirrings. There seems to be some awakening uh, in Washington. Uh, and I'm, I want to get back to this in a few minutes and, and talk about what, what that might mean. Uh, I don't want to go through everything that's now happening in Yemen because I think many of you are quite familiar with it. Um, we've heard that uh, there have been a minimum of 10,000 civilian deaths in Yemen. Uh, we have heard that 15, Children are dying every day in Yemen. A child will probably die in Yemen from starvation during the time that we're here in this room tonight. It's quite a sobering realization that this is something we are supporting and, and we are paying for. We have cynically and viciously supported the bombing of Yemeni cities, the blockading of Yemeni ports, We've prevented humanitarian aid from reaching hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, since this war began about almost, let's say three and a half years ago, um, we have supported the flying of almost 20,000 air raids over Yemen, a number that's almost hard to wrap your mind around. It's about 14 bombing raids every day for a period of three plus years, 14 bombing raids a year. And every bomb that is being dropped is manufactured in the United States. The targets have included schools and hospitals and homes and markets and factories and roads and farms and dams. Um, you don't see it much on American TV, but I, I did watch a clip on BBC of a a kid who had taken a video in the school bus as they all got on and they were ready to get to wherever they were going and the phone was recovered after the school bus was blown up and all the children were killed. The father got the phone back and, and gave the video to BBC. It looked exactly like the school bus that I used to get on when I was 11 years old. But because of the United States, those kids never made it home. This bombing campaign could not 
continue without the regular, intense, and full support of the United States. Yemenis are being starved to death on purpose. Saudi Arabia, with its ally, the United States, is using starvation as a weapon of war. Now, reversing course, so ending American military support for the Saudi intervention in Yemen can still save thousands upon thousands of lives. This is not something we can lament in the past. I wish we hadn't done such and such in Guatemala or in the Congo or in Vietnam. This is something that's going on right now. And I guess that's the reason why many of us are here tonight. This is arguably the m most urgent foreign policy demand that the world is making on the United States. Please stop the savage and indiscriminate bombing of Yemen. Saudi Arabia is the richest country in the Muslim Middle East. Yemen is the poorest. And Saudi Arabia is also supported by the richest country in the world, at least we are so far. Um, if, the, if Congress had spoken up and taken action, as the Constitution requires years ago, when Saudi violations of human rights were already completely clear, thousands of Yemenis who are now dead would be alive. Now, we've all seen the excitement caused in the United States and the outrage caused mainly in Washington by the case of my friend, Jamal Khashoggi. Uh, and I think the Yemen war and the Khashoggi case are linked in a number of ways. One of the most obvious ones is that the Saudi government and the Saudi leadership has sworn to us we had nothing to do with the killing of Khashoggi. They've also told us that they are not intentionally bombing civilian targets in Yemen. Well, if you don't believe one, you can't believe the other. A liar on one side is also the liar on the other side. Uh, this is a war that we try to pretend we're not directly involved in, but a war by any other name, regardless of the labels, uh, is still a devastating war for the people that are on the receiving ends of the bombs. Our Constitution explicitly requires that Congress authorize interventions like this. We have allowed the Saudis to use planes all made in the United States to participate in this bombing campaign? American bombs, are those being dropped? Without our weapons, this war could not continue. Uh, the Trump administration uh, suggested to uh, the Saudis that uh, we might curtail our refueling of their planes in the air. There's no indication that we've done that. But that's not the only support that we're giving. The provision of hardware is not everything. We are providing the targeting information. We're telling them where to bomb. And when President Trump was asked about 
the bombing of schools and buses and factories and civilian communities. He said, well, they don't know how to use our weaponry. They don't take our advice. But we are giving them the targeting information. We are providing military intelligence. We are providing the precision bombs. We're providing the maintenance of the weapons, the military training, the combat logistics, the moral cover, and the diplomatic cover that prevents the world from cracking down on Saudi Arabia. And all we would have to do in order to bring this war to a screeching halt would be the single step of stopping the supply of spare parts in, to all their planes and uh, the supply of continuing new weaponry. The, we don't have to pull anything back. We just have to stop doing what we're doing. But we're, we're very integrated into this campaign. And because of that, we've tried to make the Saudis immune from uh, international criticism. If the United States were to withdraw from this very modest coalition that's involved in the bombing of Yemen, the coalition would, would dissolve, and that international support would, would disappear. Because of our continuing support of this war, there is an indelible American imprint on every civilian death in Yemen. We are responsible for this humanitarian catastrophe that we're all lamenting. In the meantime, the Saudi campaign violates a fundamental principle of international relations and the idea of war. The concept of war is it's supposed to get you to a political place that you want to be. This war is not intended to do that. It has no end. It has no political purpose. It's only meant to punish and to continue savagery in order to show power and intimidate others. The Houthis who are on the receiving end of this are not going away. They're a third of, of Yemen. They're always going to be there. But we have been AWOL in the peace process. There's no political effort in which we are trying to find an end to this. In fact, it's even worse. You, you, some of you may know that uh, within recent weeks, uh, there have been efforts to bring parties together in Stockholm to try to find a way to end this war. Uh, I'm all for that, but I see two great problems with it. First of all, the United States has made clear, and this, is, this just happened in recent days, that uh, we don't want Iran to arrive in Stockholm. The Iranians wanted to send a delegation to the peace talks with a deputy foreign minister. We told the other parties, do, we can't accept it. We won't go. We won't participate. And let me tell you that this is just a repetition of what we did in Syria. Almost five years ago, when the Syrian conflict was just beginning, the United Nations, in cooperation with the Arab League, launched a peace process, and they named a mediator. The mediator was Kofi Annan, the former UN Secretary General. 
And Kofi Annan, having taken Diplomacy 101, knows how you start these kinds of processes. The first thing you do is you call a meeting and you ask all the parties to the conflict to come and just present their case. Not to negotiate, just to say what I need and what I can't accept. And then he goes home and he begins to think about what the next phase is. The US government, through the voice of Hillary Clinton, obviously authorized by President Obama, refused to participate. We said if Iran is arriving, we're not participating in peace talks. We will not sit in a room with any faction or group that supports the Assad government. So no, no government of Syria allowed in the negotiations, no Iran, no Russia. So really, we only want to negotiate with the people on our side. Everything you have seen in Syria since then is the result of this disastrous calculation. And we are making the same calculation again in Yemen. We don't want to negotiate with people that are on the other side, but we're happy to participate in negotiations with everybody who already agrees with us. Now, we also have a very interesting uh, development going on in Washington, and, and I think it's, it's something that we need to pay attention to. Uh, there really is now a growing sense uh, among a number of Democrats and even a few Republicans that uh, the situation in Yemen is, has become so disastrous that Congress might have to take the radical step of fulfilling the obligation that the Constitution gives it. It might actually have to decide whether to authorize this conflict or not. Uh, it's remarkable to me to see how we've finally gotten to this point. I think, I think it's wonderful. This is the place for all of us to become active. Uh, Congress is very uh, afraid of the idea of asserting its constitutional power. It hasn't done it for most of our lifetimes. We never authorized the war in Vietnam. We ne Congress never authorized the war in Iraq and over and over again. So the idea that Congress would step up and fulfill its constitutional obligations is, is quite remarkable and shocking. We need to be sure that our members of Congress support this effort. I think there is going to be some change with the Democrats coming into power. I'm particularly excited about Jim McGovern, who's been a militantly anti-war figure for all of his time in Congress. He's about to become the chairman of the Rules Committee. This is the committee where all those resolutions go to die. They're not going to die anymore. We have a new Congresswoman from Boston, Ayanna Presley. She defeated a person who was at the forefront of fighting against American intervention in the world, Congressman Capuano. Uh, Capuano was one of only 11 members of Congress who joined up to sue the Obama administration about what it was doing in Yemen years ago. So regardless of what side you were on in that race or what you think about the change, the fact is our Congresswoman, Ayanna Presley, is really at least in foreign policy, let's call it gently, a work in progress. I don't think she's thought much about these issues. It's our job to make sure that she does. It would be a tragedy if replacing an old white guy who looks like me with an exciting black woman would result in a lessening of a commitment to peace and justice in the world. We have to make sure that doesn't happen. And wherever all of you live, you have to try to make sure that your own members of Congress 
are on this side. I, I happen to live in a district uh, represented by one congressman, Bill Keating, uh, who is uh, always on the wrong side of all these issues. And I'm, I'm dedicated to finding somebody to run against him or to campaign against him. And I want everybody in this room to think about what you can do in your own districts. I have already got a young woman who's become a selectman in my town out on the Cape, and I, I'm she she was I she was inspired to run for select woman in this little town because she went to a rally against Trump in Washington and heard people say over and over, go home and run for office. Don't make coming to Washington and holding up a sign the end of your protest. Go home and do it. And I think that's a message we all need to take back to our own districts. Let's make sure that we don't allow the people who claim to represent us to avoid confronting this real issue. So uh, I want to just uh, mention a few larger subjects briefly uh, as a conclusion here that I think the Yemen issue brings us to. Number one, this is one I, I can't explain, and, but I'm still amazed by it. And, and, and I'm sure some of you who have had other orientations and studies can, can do this better than I can. Why is it that the tens of thousands of children who have starved to death over recent years in Yemen and the savagery of our bombing campaign did not cut through the consciousness of Washington the way the killing of one Washington Post columnist did? We've all heard that line from Stalin about, uh, what is it, one, one death is a tragedy, a million deaths is a statistic. I get that, but I still can't understand. How can this be that just one guy who has lots of friends in Washington and works for the Washington Post, his death exploded the Washington foreign policy community that was unmoved by this unfolding tragedy? I think, I don't know what the answer is. I think it lies in the realm of human psychology, not in the realm of politics. Uh, but I'd be open to anybody giving, trying to explain this to me. Um, a second larger issue that this uh, Yemen crisis brings us to is uh, the role of the weapons makers, the arms industry, in shaping American foreign policy. Uh, the arms industry is the number one driver of this project in Yemen. Uh, we have heard President Trump himself say about the Khashoggi killing, he said, we don't like it, we don't like it even a little bit. But then he went on to say, but the Saudis are buying $100 billion in weapons from us. So let's get real. <laughs> the fact is that that's way exaggerated. Those that money comes in over a period of many decades, if it comes in at all. The number of jobs greatly exaggerated and certainly would be wildly left behind by the number of jobs that could be provided if we tried to invest in peaceful projects inside the United States. Uh, nonetheless, uh, this Yemen crisis does reflect the power of the weapons industry. Uh, whenever a big defense contractor, I love that phrase, uh, is given a contract for a major project like, say, the F-35 fighter jet. The first thing they do is they divide up the contract into pieces, and they ask different factories in different parts of the country to make different pieces of the plane, 
and they choose the districts according to whether the member of Congress is on the Armed Services Committee or the Appropriations Committee that provides the money. So what they do is they manipulate members of Congress into a position where if you start to oppose these massive weapons projects, you're throwing people in your own district out of work. So it isn't just that they bankroll the candidates and get them elected, it's that they make it impossible for members of Congress, unless they develop the kind of spine that is not so common in Washington, to oppose any big weapons project. I had a love this, just this was just this week. Here's a report that came out by the Heritage Foundation. I talked earlier about all the think tanks in Washington. Heritage Foundation is one of them. This is the title of the report. Ending US military support for Saudi Arabia in Yemen would trigger dangerous consequences. Well, it took me about a minute and a half on the internet to find out that the Heritage Foundation is principally financed by Lockheed Martin. <laughs> they are the ones making the weaponry. So naturally, they want to support so-called independent think tanks in Washington uh, that uh, will produce reports that people can wave around in Congress and sound very serious. And the third and final observation I have that I think is something that the Yemen crisis makes us think about is America's role in the world. We should use this crisis both in two ways. We need to focus on the immediate issue. And this is one reason why I don't have faith in the Stockholm peace process. It isn't just that the Iranians aren't there or that the other side isn't there. It's that it takes too long. Maybe Stockholm process can produce peace in Yemen after two, three years. But we don't have two or three years. The children in Yemen do not have two or three years. So I think we need to focus on the immediate question. How can we force Congress to stand up and try to stop this war? And there are ways Congress can do that. But that isn't enough because the Yemen catastrophe is not isolated. It's part of who we are and what we do in the world. We have now elected a number of very exciting new members of Congress. It's thrilling. But many of these members of Congress have not focused on world affairs. I think they have great policies when it comes to domestic policy. I love it. I love what those people are saying. But that isn't enough. To say that you want to have uh, justice for American workers and more money for education and uh, Medicare for all, I love that. But that isn't enough. I think it's important that we push the justice Democrats and others who support those kinds of programs to realize that those are all connected to what we do in the world. What do traditional members of Congress, like my congressman, don't get the idea, I'm unhappy with them, say uh, when we are proposing things like Medicare for all, free community college education? It's always the same answer. It's a great idea. How are we going to pay for it? Nobody ever asked this about the $719 billion military budget. We need to understand there's a connection between the two. You cannot change America without changing what America is and does in the world. 
I'm not sure all of our young heroines coming into Congress have grasped this, and it's our job to make sure that they do. Uh, now, I, I said I was finished, but I, I want to give you one last uh, show and tell. Remember that from second grade? So uh, last time I was in the Persian Gulf, which was just last year, I was walking through a bazaar. I like to go to the antique stores, the stuff, places where they sell old stuff. And I found a wonderful object. And uh, for your benefit, and for just so that I don't, I'm not the only one who looks at it, I brought it. This is a panel from a window from Yemen. You can open it up. I ask myself, what happened to the family that was living in this house? Did this house get incinerated by a bomb that was bought by one of my tax dollars? Or are the kids and the family in this house just slowly starving to death because we're supporting the blockade of humanitarian aid? Every time I look at this window panel, I am reminded of the individual human toll of American foreign policy. And I hope it will motivate all of you the way it motivates me to realize that the United States has gone far off track from the days when George Washington told us in his farewell address, why quit our own? to stand on foreign ground. Let's keep that in mind and realize that we have a chance now to make a real difference by pushing Congress to do something that it hasn't been able to do for all of our lifetimes. That's why I'm here. That's why you're all here. That's why it's wonderful to be with you. Thanks for listening to Pax Americana a Massachusetts Peace Action podcast. Next week, we'll continue our conversation with Stephen Kinzer about the humanitarian crisis in Yemen, as well as the history of the Saudi alliance, the war powers resolutions in Congress, and the changing media narrative in the wake of the murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Be sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. Peace.